Good, good, good. Sweet sounds. Way to get here on this uh, icy day today. Wonderful. Hey, uh, so this is uh, Garrick and Kelly Mann along with with uh, Garrick's mom, and I've dropped your name. It's I'm sorry, Danisa. Yes, right. And uh, and and Eddie, and uh, and then we've got this little one here that we want to dedicate this morning. What a privilege to be able to do this. Uh, yeah, thanks you guys for letting us be a part of your lives in all of this. Beautiful. Um, you know, people were bringing little children to Jesus, and the disciples you know, kind of thought that was imposing on Jesus' time, and uh, what, they weren't very nice about that, and, and, and Jesus rebuked them and said, let the children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God, yeah, and so we, we look at these little ones, and just have to ask ourselves the questions, you know, in what way do children remind us of the children of God, and uh, it's good, good to consider uh, the fact that unless we become as little children, that we don't even have a part of the kingdom. So there's something for us to learn, valuable lesson just in, in having them here and then having you together as a family and letting us share this opportunity together with you. Yeah. So in this, there's, there's a, a couple of commitments. One is on our part and, uh, and one is on, on their part. So coming to this moment of dedication here, that it's your desire uh, just to raise Danielle and, and Eddie for the glory of God. Amen? Yeah. And, and as a body congregation, they, they can't do this alone. So would you all commit to doing everything in your power to uphold this family in their efforts to raise these children for God's glory? Yeah. Amen. You bet. Well, can I hold this little one? Awesome. All right. I really haven't hung out with her very much, so it's a pretty sweet treat. <laughs> Have to show her off. These moments come and go so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you have to love it when they're this peaceful. <laughs> oh. Glory to God. We just give glory to God for you, Danielle. Yeah. Thank you guys for being mom, dad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's he's all boy. I need the body's help. Yeah, the body's help. Help, help, help. <laughs> Eddie, we're gonna pray for your little sister right now. Father God, thank you for this life. Thank you for this family and this testimony that stands before us. And it's in your name that we come before you and we bring Danielle to you. Danielle, Leanne, man, we dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we bless this entire family. 
Thank you that you're everything that they need. And uh, all glory, honor, and praise to you. In Christ's name, amen. Awesome, awesome. Got to hug you all. Yeah, thank you for being up here, buddy. I love you. Arr. Good, good for me. It's awesome. It's awesome. Wouldn't be the first time I preached with a kid next to me. <laughs> it's good, man. This is good. Well, I guess. Thanks, Daddy. <laughs> All right. She doesn't want to leave me. There you go. Sweet. Special joys and privileges of, of being a pastor. It's good. It's good. And being part of a body. Right, 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 right. So, uh, <coughs> beloved, <coughs> dear ones, the Gospel of John, we're in chapter 2, moving on to, to chapter 2, and... Uh, and our study today um, took many folds in the course of my getting before the Father. But today, uh, the, the title is, as best I can tell, is simply, it's not about the wine. It's not about the wine. So as we pick it up in, in, in chapter 2, chapter 2 begins with Jesus at a wedding. It's not too far from his hometown in, in, uh, of Nazareth, where he grew up. You know, he's headquartered now in Galilee, but, but right now this wedding is close to home. So we pick it up, verse 1, where the Bible says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now let's just stop right there for a moment and, and just highlight that as we explore Jesus' life, that wherever we see him, we see him interacting with whoever he happens to be with. And, and that's important because it's a very valuable application that in, in looking at what the body of Christ is, we, we've given people in my position the title of minister. It's not a good idea because the truth is that people in my position are supposed to be about equipping all of you for the work of the ministry. And in that, that we need to recognize that uh, ministry doesn't all happen in, in organized settings. But rather, most ministry happens as we are going. And that's very important as you even consider the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all, all nations. That, uh, that the, the word go is really as you go, as you are going. And, and as Jesus is going, he's, he's ministering. So wherever we are, in the normal affairs of life, allowing God to, to use us. I'm, I'm amazed. Uh, I was talking to an atheist on Friday, and uh, he, he was raised in a Christian home, but he said at the age of five, he made the decision that he was an atheist. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't want to preach about it. He doesn't want to defend it. He doesn't want to talk. Well, he, clearly he was talking <laughs> quite a bit about it, but he just made the decision at five. I was fascinated. It was it was a, a, a really good conversation. But in the course of that, he was talking about, and, and his observation of evangelicals, because he's a world tour guide. Uh, he, well, he's older now, but he's, he's helped people to explore all over the world. And, 
and he's known evangelical Christians, evangelical Christians who have been locked in jail for proselytizing. And, and that's fascinating to me to hear that word proselytizing because we're told to go and make disciples, right? And, and in many places of the world, just thinking about that, it's against the law. They call it proselytizing. I've always thought of proselytizing as something the cults do when the cults are after believers, trying to get them to leave their, their traditional church settings to get them to buy into some new doctrine or something. But it's a phrase that's used everywhere, and we've got to be about it regardless of what the law says. Amen? Wow, you're not too sure. We've got to be about what Jesus commanded us to do regardless of what the law says. Amen? Whoa, a little bit more courageous right there. All right, looking for some commitment here big time this morning, I guess. But I, I like the fact that Jesus is, is here because this would have been a real party. I mean, I have to say it would have looked nothing like the Protestant weddings that I was introduced to after I came to faith. I mean, you want to talk about culture shock for me? I came from a background of Italian and Mexican festivity. I mean, weddings were all about party and food and, and dancing and, and more people. I mean, literally, recently we went to one of my niece's weddings and, uh, man, a small number of people at the ceremony, then a larger people, amount of people for the dinner, and then all of a sudden at one point in the wedding, they opened these giant doors at this resort and there were like three or four hundred people waiting for the party to start man let's get this part started <laughs> yeah so that was my background then I go to my first protestant wedding and I see this thing about stand in line to sign the guest registry stand in line for the usher to take you to your proper pew right stand in line to to greet the couple you know after their wedding congratulate them Stand in line for a piece of cake and punch. <laughs> Stand in line for the, for the set-off. Woohoo! you know? Yeah, exciting. <laughs> but a wedding in, in Jesus' day would have been this, this week-long affair. It would have started at night at the beginning of the week, just, just kicked off with this procession where the, the, the groom and his, his friends would, would, would just have a glorious celebration that would carry them from his house to her house. And, and you better believe that there was, there was dancing, there was celebration, a lot of excitement going on. It was full of color, so full of festivity. And here's Jesus right in the midst of this. So I, I just have to say, I think Jesus kind of liked a good party. Okay, I think you can relate to this. Let's look at verse 3 here. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So the first point this morning is this. There's a problem. They've run out of wine. Uh-oh. What's going on? Verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? He replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, <laughs> so much for, you know, any kind of know here, <laughs> you know, what his mom say? He said to the, the, the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of 
the banquet. So here's our second point this morning, and that's the solution. Jesus does something about the problem. Verse 8, last little statement there. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. And so there's our third point right there. Notice there's a reaction. People noticed what Jesus did. All right, so let's break this down here. There's a problem. They ran out of wine. And, and as I approach this, I, I realize that there are at least two actions or two reactions represented among us to what's going on here. Some of you want to start crying and say, oh no, they've run out of wine. And you hear me say, it's not about the wine. And to you, you're saying, hey, wait a minute, it's all about the wine. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. But I also realize that there are others of you here who just kind of want to cheer and say, who needs the stuff anyway? I mean, I, I get that because uh, as a young man, those friends that were largely responsible for my coming to faith were all a part of an organization called Al-Anon. It was a recovery group for friends and family of alcoholics. And they had seen the worst side of addictions, of alcohol, of uh, intoxicants. They hated it. They, they still hate it, many of them today. I can't forget the day they showed me 200, at least 200 scripture verses showing me why drinking was wrong. They're, they have a strong conviction here. And it's an interesting thing to point out in scripture that whenever you find wine associated with spiritual things, it always speaks about the joy that the Lord gives. Interesting. But on the flip side, when it comes to physical drink, what you find is often there's a warning. Be careful, respect it, don't abuse it. For some, stay away from it. For those who are free to partake of it, remember who you're influencing and don't be a stumbling block. But remember what we've called this this morning. It's not about the wine. Can you say it? It's not about the wine. Try that again. It's not about the wine. Well, then if it's not about the wine, then what's it about? Well, look at verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the what? Yeah, miracle signs, right? Through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. So it's not about the wine. The truth is, it's a sign. And right here, I just want to point you back to the purpose for us having the Gospel of John. In fact, let's read it together. It's John chapter 20, verse 31. Can you see that? Let's read this together. These things recorded in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I love that last phrase. By believing, you may have life in his name. Can we simply say that? By believing, you may have life in his name. Let's say that again. By believing, you may have life in his name. 
So this is the first of a number of signs that Jesus gave to show who he is. And John wants us to know this because he doesn't care what the laws say about proselytizing. He wants people everywhere to know Jesus because what John has discovered is that Jesus is the way to real life, life to the full. Yeah, in fact, chapters 1 through 12 of John are sometimes given the title, The Book of Signs. And the reason is, in those 12 chapters, there are seven miracles that we see that are given for the one purpose, and that is that we might believe. And I, I would be a liar if I didn't tell you. If I told you something other than that, I want you to believe. I want you to believe. I want you to know him. Jesus Christ transformed my life. And, and as much as I wanted to tell that atheist there on Friday, I want you to believe. I know that it's not my place. It's not my place. I have to trust the Holy Spirit. And I did everything in my dependence on God to love this guy right where he was and to hear him and try Try to understand where he's coming from. I want you to believe. John wants you to believe. That's the reason for this book. So here we are. Sometime during this festivity, they rounded a wine. Wine was a staple in that culture. Amen. I get that. That's who I am too. I understand. But, you know, uh, uh, being a good host uh, was utmost importance to have run out of wine would have been really, really embarrassing. And I was thinking about embarrassing moments at weddings. Anybody have an embarrassing moment story? Yeah, you do. I want to hear those stories. You know, I, I heard about uh, one little flower girl. She had just recently been potty trained. And right there in the middle of the ceremony, she said, I have to pee. <laughs> embarrassing moments. That's right. Another the story is, is about a, a bride, and she was so nervous and nauseous prior to the wedding that her groom had to carry a barf bag in the pocket of his tux. Isn't that romantic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what triggered me to think of those other stories is because as soon as I thought about embarrassing moments at, at a wedding, I was reminded of one of my friend's weddings, and, and, and this, this couple, I am convinced, they were the models for the traditional cake topper. I mean, I'm telling you, literally, he looked like a Greek god, and she looked awesome, un, unbelievable. And if you don't believe me, they just recently visited Estes Park. We were having dinner together uh, with the family, and, uh, and I, I looked at the daughter, and I said, uh, do you know your dad looked like a Greek god when we were young? Simultaneously, she and her mother both rolled their eyes, and she said, believe me, we've heard all about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, anyway, anyway. It, it couldn't have been a, a prettier wedding. Everything was perfect, rose garden, sunny day. In, in the midst of all this flawlessness, in the midst of all this perfection, he went to put the ring on his bride's finger, and he said, with the wing I do wed. <laughs> Is it okay if I tell you that I got a little pleasure out of seeing Mr. Perfect talking like Elmer Fudd? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we have a problem here, 
right? The wine, it's gone dry. It's, it's an embarrassing moment. Clearly, clearly, Mary felt somewhat responsible for this, so she went to Jesus. Now, this causes me to wonder, did Mary know that Jesus could perform miracles at this point? I mean, we call this the first miracle, right? Did she know? Or... Since her husband, Joseph, had clearly passed away, was she used to going to Jesus for help? Which is it? I mean, I think it's a great, great question to ask. But Jesus' response in verse 4, woman, I mean, guys, no, this is not permission to go around saying woman. <laughs> not a good idea. We don't want to use that in our culture. But in this culture, in Jesus' day, he was respectfully saying, ma'am, why do you involve me? He probably went gently like this, ma'am. I should probably be left out of this situation. And, and, and the reason is, is that third phrase in verse 4 where he says this, my hour has not yet come. And th that's a statement that Jesus is going to say again and again right through chapters 1 through 12. Now, we just gave chapters 1 through 12 a title, right? We gave, them the, we gave those chapters the title, The Book of Signs. What happens in chapter 12? Well, in chapter 12, he's going to start talking about his imminent death. So the focus begins to shift right here. But what's going on? Jesus is operating off his father's timetable and off his father's plan. I mean, later on, he's going to say, I don't do anything of my own volition. I don't do anything according to my will, but I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what the Father commands me to do. And, and here's an important application in life is, man, we get so caught up and so anxious in what we want and when we want it. And I'm looking at a miracle right now of a couple that watched God move faster than they wanted wanted him to or imagine him moving and don't you like it when God moves faster than you expect him to isn't that the best yeah I vote for that yeah but he doesn't always move when we want him to and are we willing to put everything on the altar trusting him for his plan in his time and while it appears that Jesus doesn't want to do the miracle his response is amazing back to verse 6 we see six stone jars each capable of holding from 20 to 30 gallons filled to the brim, we are talking about a potential of 180 gallons of wine. Yeah. I mean, in this day, in this culture, magicians were turning water into wine. They had these, these vessels that had two chambers, and depending on which way they would tip the, the, the vessels would cause them to produce either either water or wine, simple trick, but we're talking limited amounts of wine. And here, Jesus has performed a miracle with so much wine that there was enough for everybody to take some home and share it with their friends and family. Isn't that the way God blesses? Right? Our God wants to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask, hope, dream, or imagine but it has to be according to his plan and not ours because if it's according to ours, we're just going to be disappointed and coming up empty. And so we see here it's not about the wine. It's a sign. This is a big day. 
not just because this wedding would be pulled off wonderfully, but because it would be a big day in the kingdom. And as a result, we see these words that the disciples believed. We can't overestimate the impact of this first miracle. In fact, there's some great application here. And how about this? How about we dip our ladles into those stone vessels and share two cups of wine together? I've got two that I want you to, to hear this morning. The first cup is this. Let's celebrate the fact, and we shouldn't be surprised, that Jesus' first miracle involves filling empty things. You see, there's a problem in our culture in a very real way. People have run out of wine. People everywhere are coming up empty. And is there any pain that can rival the pain of emptiness in life? And notice that these were, were stone jars. I mean, the, the first picture we get is a picture of God's chosen people, the Jews, so caught up in legalism that their faith had grown cold. They hadn't received a fresh word from God in 400 years. It's just dead religion. And, and there's a warning right here. There is such a, a warning. Let's commit to not substituting the real thing for some other form of law or regulation or duty or legalism. Otherwise, we're just going to become as empty and as cold as those stone vessels. Religious ritual is nothing. What we need is a vital living relationship with the Lord God Almighty. I'm talking seriously. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. It's not about showing up at, 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 for mass or, or showing up at, at some kind of gathering place. or, or um, I'm trying to get the name of, uh, of the main church. The cathedral, you know. I mean, man, it's not about those kind of gatherings. Yet meaningless ritual and, and self-help aren't the only thing that can, can, can leave us empty. In, in a few chapters, we're going to find this woman at the well. She's coming up empty, and she's trying to fill the void with relationships. Five different husbands, each husband leaving her just as empty as the next. And here's something that all of us can take to the bank. It goes like this, that any compulsion for too much of anything or giving anything the wrong place in our lives will lead us to the horror and to the pain and to the reality of emptiness. It's a problem. And in the church, you know, we kind of get this mentality of buck up, you know, get a grip, stop whining, just go without, you'll be fine. And when we do this, we miss the intention of this first miracle. And right here, we've got some good news. And the good news, there's a solution to the emptiness. John's gospel wants us to know right here that we were not meant for empty living. We were meant for fullness, the fullness of life, the fullness of one blessing poured upon another. That's the God we serve, and that's the life we were meant for. Can we just give God a shout? God, yeah. Let me just say it again. We were created to live life to the 
full and we're not filled with the good things that Christ came to offer us, we're going to grasp for anything as a substitute and an unsatisfied soul is an accident just waiting to happen. So the first cup of wine that I want us to partake of together is this. Jesus fills empty things. And maybe today you need to be filled. Come to him. Whatever it is you're chasing after in this world, it's deceiving. It's a lie. It's grasping after the wind, and it will only leave a void. You were made for him. He was made for you. Yeah. Praise God. Well, I don't have a glass of wine. But. Second cup. Let's get to the second cup here. Not only does Jesus fill empty things, but he also wants to pour in new wine. To the woman at the well, Jesus is going to bring living water, but to this wedding, he's bringing something altogether different. He's bringing new wine because he knows what we need in any given moment. So if you back up to verse 11, through this first miracle, Jesus is going to reveal his, his, his glory. A miracle performed in the physical realm means something to us each personally in a deeper spiritual realm. It's about glory to him. He certainly met an immediate need, but there's a far broader kingdom need that needs to be met here. Something, something that's all about him receiving glory and honor and praise. Now, this new wine, to help us get a picture of it, three scripture verses. I don't think I've given them to you anywhere, but if you want to write them down quickly, here they are, Okay. Uh, unless I see them pop up. First one, Psalm 104, verse 15. Psalm 104, verse 15. Second one, Judges 9, 13. Okay, Psalm 104, 15. Judges 9, 13. And then the third one is Psalm 4, verse 7. Each of those verses portray wine as gladdening to the heart and bringing cheer. This is the new wine we're talking about because... We have a problem today. Not only have we run out of wine, the wine we have has gone stale, but there's good news. Jesus does something about it. He has new wine. So you go over to Matthew 9, uh, starting with verse 14. You find the Pharisees are angry with Jesus because there's, he's supposed to be fasting, and instead they see him partying. And he responds by saying, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. And, and, and the reason is that he knows in trying to fill something that's not prepared to see it is like trying to satisfy an itch that will not be scratched. It's, it's going after something that's insatiable. So in Ephesians 5.18, we're given a picture of what God wants to do when the Bible talks about the effects of the new wine. Listen to it. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to a life of excess. Instead, be filled, which it could read, be being filled, practice being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit does for us in full measure what we may try to accomplish through the bottle or chasing after anything else. And one reason people drink too much is because wine has a way of changing the way that we feel and the way that we, we think. So the new wine of Christ has positive effects. It, it affects for the good. And Jesus came 
to bring us the wine of the Holy Spirit, something that you can drink your fill of and never have any negative side effects. <laughs> I like that kind of wine. It's very good. And you don't have to wake up in the morning finding yourself empty in the wake of what might have happened the day before. So I like to think of this as spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing. I become aware of an area of my life that I'm giving an improper place or that I'm giving too much of a place in my life, a place that belongs to God. And so I, I exhale. I confess. I agree with God about what he already knows. That word confess. I'm not telling God anything he doesn't know. I, I'm agreeing with him about what he knows. I confess. And part of that confession is a change of attitude and action, change in my heart. And so right there, I inhale, I receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit by faith, allowing God to again take his place on the throne of my life. It's a great exercise that leads to life. And friends, we live in a very privileged day. We live in a day when God is pouring out his spirit on everyone who will believe in him, and he does it not only to empower us for the Christian life, but also because he wants us to experience fulfillment. The master of the banquet has saved the best wine until the end. And we are in the end times. Isn't that awesome? Did you hear it? The master of the banquet, he has saved the best wine until the end. And here we are. And so what does this new wine look like? It looks like joy. It looks like peace. And in a world where people are coming up empty, Jesus has new wine. The Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And I, and I just want to stop on joy because when, you, when, you're, when you're being filled with the Holy Spirit, that takes care of all the other stuff that we're trying to satisfy. Love, joy. And I want to stop on joy because People notice joy. People notice it. What is going on with that person? And this new wine you can drink is just as much as you want, not break any laws. In fact, you can drink just as much as you want, and the more you drink, the more satisfied you become with the things you were made for. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and we could go... We could go on and on and on. So here we are today. What do you say we top our glasses off, we clink them together, and we enjoy two glasses of good wine. One, Jesus fills things beautifully that are once empty, and secondly, he fills them with new wine, wine of the Spirit that gives joy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe it. It works. So uh, a young toddler... She was never satisfied with a little of anything. So every time she was offered a, a treat, she would cup her chubby little hands together and, and she would say, I want a bunch of it. See, why, why have a little bit when you could have a bunch? I mean, yeah, get, get it. B-A-W-N-C-H, bunch. I want a bunch of it. And John, he would agree and he wants us to know that we weren't made for a little, we were made for a bunch. We were made for a bunch. And you don't have to feel guilty 
Because there's something in your spirit that wants a bunch of joy. God is into pouring out a bunch of blessing. And he wants to pour a bunch of blessing in your, in, into your life. Because there's a third reason. Remember? Problem, solution, and response. People notice. People notice a life of blessing. They don't notice a life of religious ritual. They notice a life of blessing. I mean, the master of the banquet, he was like, wait a minute. Wait till everybody's drunk and then bring out the cheap wine. And here you are bringing out the good wine now, right? The servants, they saw what happened. They watched it. And they knew what Jesus did. And so this becomes one of the first miracles, one of the first signs to show us who Jesus is. So I say we clink our glasses together and we celebrate life to the full that only he can bring. Yeah. Praise God. Can anybody say praise God? Can we give praise to God? Thanksgiving week, celebrating the fact of what God wants to do and does. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Did I mention these guys are all part of Ravencrest? Yeah, Ravencrest Chalet Bible School here in town. Yep, Evan is a student. He's here totally by faith. Not sure how he's going to be back in the winter, but trusting God. Sarah's on staff. Dino, ladies, right? Uh, no, female RA. Female RA. Okay, excellent. And then uh, Thibaut from France is dean of guys. Yeah, yeah. So let's thank the Lord for them, can't we? And it gives our worship team a break as well. Thank you. Um, let's pray. So the big question this morning is, uh, what is God saying to you? And it, it might not be anything you've heard me say, but God's spirit may have spoken to you. And then the second one goes with it, how we respond. And, and I think about this, and Maybe you're at a place where you just confess and recognize that you've been chasing after stuff that's leaving you empty and it's really messing up your world. Maybe. Maybe, maybe for you, you know, you're doing really well at, at crossing all your T's, dotting all your I's in life. You've got things pretty well under control, but not a lot of joy there. And maybe today you need a fresh filling of new wine. Maybe today you just feel empty. You need more of him. Maybe today you're at a place of, of just incredible gratitude. Because for you, this is reality. And today you're reminded, you're encouraged, and you're stirred. But maybe it's none of that. Between you and God, what's he saying this morning? How would he have you? Respond. Let's continue, continue to consider that as we worship. <laughs>